Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. Boy, if you could do more for your guest every day and never say no and help each guest and let them keep living in the best moment of discovery every time, anticipation and reward, this model offers it. In the hospitality industry, there's a reason why they say the customer always comes first. As a business, the customer is your driving force. And if they're happy, you'll be happy too. The idea of hospitality is at the forefront. It's about your guest and what more you can do to ensure that they have the experience they desire. And this is where the soul of, I think, hospitality has kind of lost its way. So this brand puts it at the forefront. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. And over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. At a time when customization and a personalized experience have become the expectation, the hospitality industry is racing to keep up with that demand. Our guest today understands that deeply, and he's driving an innovative business model that is way ahead of the curve. We're sitting down with Barry McGowan, the CEO of Fogo de Chon, an international chain of Brazilian steakhouses. Barry became CEO in 2019 after serving as president from 2013 to 2018. He has over 40 years of experience in the restaurant industry, including more than 10 years with Brinker International, where he served as COO of Macaroni Grill from 2010 to 2013. Barry also served as president and CEO of Waterloo Restaurants from 2002 to 2010. With his prior experience, Barry brings a broad range of strategic leadership and operational knowledge to Fogo. He holds a BS in hotel restaurant management from the University of North Texas and a graduate certificate of finance from SMU. Let's enter the arena with Barry McGowan. You know, I grew up in the business. I grew up serving uh, people and uh, waiting tables and just doing things all the time around the business. My older brother was in the business, uh, kind of followed him into it. I came to America when I was 12, almost 13. He was a general manager of a pizza hut, so came alongside him. And I would say restaurant job was in McDonald's. It was outside of Colleen. An owner-operator there hired me, I would just say, just beginning, but he mentored me the whole way. In fact, I tell everybody this story. I think the first thing he did, and this is a tribute to our business, the guy realized I was hungry and he fed me. And that was at a very young age of 15 and made sure I was comfortable. We finished our interview. He hired me. I went straight to work. And I would say within about a year, he just kept telling me what more I could do. I kept taking the test and, and... some point in my time, he had mentioned to me, someday I can own my own McDonald's. And that changed my life. I was like, well, I, you know, coming from abroad, from a different country to America, it was the starting point of something that changed my life that I felt like I could and I wanted to. 
and I enjoyed it. So I just grew up in the business, loved every bit about it. And I also think today there's always a time to invest in this uh, space. It's just, it's still going through transformation. It always has, and it always will. And I would say today we're going through an incredible renaissance, which is really exciting for our industry. And the consumer, I tell everybody, when the consumer starts winning again, our industry is only going to get better. So, Yeah. Well, listen, it's an amazing story, and it really is the American dream. How did the fogo Deshaun opportunity come to you? Well, you know, it's funny after the Mac Grill turnaround, we, I based for the first time in my career, I decided to put my pencil down and, you know, just decide what I want to do. I got tons of calls from other private equity to, you know, to do stuff. So I really just took my time and shopped around and kind of went back to who was innovating, what was going to happen, what was new and what was exciting. And I just wanted to make the right choice. So I went down this long path and out of the blue, I got a call from somebody from TH Lee. Todd Amarnath, the lead director, and just asked, my name had come up through an interview process. Somebody just mentioned me, so he reached out. And to be honest with you, I it was kind of, I was already down the path for several CEO roles. This wasn't a CEO role they were looking for. A previous CEO, Larry Johnson, was well in. But my name had bubbled up a couple times, apparently, with somebody they knew. And then I, you know, I just told Todd, look, I'll, let me, it's been a long time since I've been to Fogo. I went to it when it first opened. Let me come back to it and let me look. And I tell you, it's the best thing I did. I I flew around the country, went to seven or eight Fogo, spent time looking, spent time with the team, asking questions, watching consumer, their demographic within their restaurant, and really just fell in love with the people, the authenticity, and the culture. And then I met Todd and the team at TH Lee, and really and met Larry and just asked how I could you know join their team. Felt like I can help them, give perspective. I've been through you know, every segment of the industry, but they had something very special. And what drew me to it was, how can I join this authentic brand that eventually everybody's going to copy? How do you leverage it and become the best in class globally? And how do you break out and be really the category leader that that, that I thought this brand could be? And so I joined the team and haven't, haven't looked back. And that's exactly what we've been doing for 10 years. And we're just now starting to break out still small, but still with that same mission and still unique in its positioning in terms of the culinary art form that we love so much. For those that don't know, maybe you can describe kind of the history of, of the brand and kind of what it is, because it's, it's so unique when you go and you experience it, it as a consumer. I just can't think of anything that's even similar. Well, Fogo de Chon, we're a 45-year-old business today. We've been in the U.S. for only 26 years. And I go back to, I just listened to Jerry Morgan's podcast not too long ago that you had. They have 700 restaurants, 700 Texas Roadhouse in America, and they've been in America for about the same amount of time, about 26 years. We have 60 U.S. restaurants today. So we're really small, but it's rooted in authenticity and a culinary art form called Churrasco that's based out of southern Brazil. It's centuries old. It's basically Fogo de Chon is fire on the ground. It's really about simple protein, simply seasoned, cooked slowly. And the unique thing that I love about it is when you do that, you're prepared in advance and you always serve what the guest wants. So it's all about the guest. And this is where the soul of, I think, hospitality has kind of lost its way. So this brand puts it at the forefront. That's what I fell in love with. Boy, if you could do more for your guest every day and never say no and help each guest as you know, with the demographic, which ours is very young, accommodate every diatribe available in the moment and let them keep living in the best moment of dining, which is your first bite. 
in this continuous way of just discovery every time, anticipation and reward, this model offers it. And I say this, it looks easy. It's very expensive, very hard to do. And we've kind of perfected it after 45 years, but it's all rooted in our authenticity from Southern Brazil. And this is what makes it special. Southern Brazil heritage is primarily Italian and German. So people think South American, we are a South American brand. But the style of dining is as if you go to Italy and you sit in somebody's dining room and you go to a table, they put food right in front of you right, right away. So the idea of hospitality is at the forefront. It's about your guest and what more you can do to ensure that they have the experience they desire. And now we're taking that, innovating around it, and scaling it globally. And this is an exciting, exciting time uh, with this model. You talked a little bit about the customer and the connection that you're always making Talk about the demographics. I mean, obviously the brand has, hasn't been around like McDonald's or anything, but it has been around for 25 years. Has your customer changed over time? It's always been pretty diverse ethnically. We've always been about 40% female, and we've always had this family component of about, I would say, 20 25%. So now that we put new platforms in place, new innovation, and really leaning into what I call the core user, which is today, it's grown a little bit. I would say, you know, 10 years ago, it was about 80% millennial. Today, we're about 87% millennial, Gen Z, and Gen X. More ethnic than most brands that you can really map and we measure again, especially in the state category. And then 42% female and 26% family. So almost the completely opposite of a steakhouse. So we're I would say even in our branding going forward, we just say Fogo de Chão. We don't say Brazilian Steakhouse. We don't say, you know, Chuasqueria because Fogo de Chão is so much broadly appealing than that. We're just an occasion that has unique experiences and you can go in with simple pricing that allow you to discover whatever you like for whatever price point or occasion you desire. And this is what speaks to the demographic. We're growing that demographic because it's fully customizable. We don't have a menu. You can customize in the moment if you're pescatarian, you can have seafood. If you're vegan, we have a vegan menu. If you want to just explore through food, which is the key attribute of our demographic, is traveling through food or discovery through food, that we just feed that. And this is why that's such a rich, I would say, compelling demographic that's growing tremendously. So it's been exciting. It gives us a lot of freedom to innovate. And we really pay attention to what our demographic wants. And we just keep feeding that. And the value proposition in terms of you got a $9 picanha burger or you can have a $165 Wagyu. So the broadness of appeal and approachability drives that broad, broad appeal even further. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly one of the most unique things across the industry going in and, you know, really not a traditional menu at all. But I know you have as many SKUs, let's say, as like a cheesecake factory or something like that. But there's like a a price flexibility and, and menu offerings, you obviously touched on it a little bit, but I think it's just worth emphasizing just how much that differentiates you from any other full-service restaurant brand. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes menus get in the way. And, I, you know, our industry has been built off of plate cost and labor efficiency. And so this is very old-school hospitality about having uh, something for everybody and then making the pricing simple for whatever occasion it is. We have all-day value from a $9 picanha burger to $18 all-you-can-experience market table uh, and go as frequently as you want. And then to the full experience, which is about the price of a center-cut filet 
in a steakhouse that you can have whatever you like. So it's just easy for the consumer to understand. And by the way, internationally, I believe why we attract such international use or ethnic use broadly is because no matter your customs, no matter where you are around the world, the food is really the same. So ease of use, easy to understand, and two, there's no risk when you do it. If you don't like something, we change your plate and give you what you like. So it really is very guest forward. It's very much on the onus of us to pay attention to what our guests want. And I think that point of pricing, uh, value all day, different occasions, and then just Again, how you like to dine, and a lot of our innovation has really opened up more occasions to do more of that. And this is where we're seeing, you know, Tom, we're on our 10th year of positive traffic. And I go back to in this industry that has been price-driven, labor-driven, we're focusing on value for the guest-driven and focusing on traffic first. Over the last, from 19 to 22, we've only taken 2.5% price. And our cost of sales are the same as they were in 2019. So we're very particular about giving the guests more, making sure they, their value proposition strong. And we don't save labor. We don't drive labor cost. We drive efficiency, productivity, and we focus on every dollar we invest, our first dollar we invest in labor. So we invest in labor every day to drive great guest experiences. And that's, again, unique to our model as well. Yeah, it's kind of like my head is exploding when I think about it because no other restaurant company talks like that. And it's such a unique labor model, and that feeds into your unit economics, which feeds into your ability to have great locations and build amazing-looking restaurants. Maybe just talk about that little nuance that most people who are customers might not understand. Like, how does FOGO work? It's pretty simple. Now, simple is hard, to be clear. We really start with the butchery, the receiving of, you know, whole proteins, breaking them down into the cuts that we need to create different experiences. So a lot of knife work in the butcher room. Well, that same chef who does the butchery prepares it, seasons it, cooks it, and then also serves it to the plate. I tell everybody we have a fast, casual operating model similar to a Chipotle. So Chipotle, you walk up, which, by the way, I dine there every week with my family, big, big users. We go in the line, you get it or you get on your app like my son does. We pre-order. But that customization happens in a very short time. And then you eat. Well, Fogo the Show, we customize with you to the plate or you, instead of somebody else, you can pre-plate your own customized you know, experience at the market table. All that's included in the experience. So the immediacy is just as fast. Customization is just as fast. But like you said, we have 400 SKUs. But in the back of the house, we don't have KDS. We don't have 15 people producing. Those 15 people in the back of the house are now in the front of the house serving the guest. So that amplifies the hospitality, amplifies the service, and everyone's focus is on the guest in the dining room. And that's what gives us a huge competitive advantage. And that's the experiential drive of the model. Yeah. The people who serve you there... It's impressive. You know, it's like an impressive experience. They're kind of like rock stars walking around, you know, because it's just something so different. It's special. And by the way, those chefs, chefs are prideful anyway. But when you're when you get the validation at the table, that's, again, a competitive advantage, too. And again, if something's not right, I don't have to take the plate back to the kitchen, refire something. The chef's right there and we immediately fix it. I go back to the immediacy side. It's just, it's a wonderful guest-facing model that just where we're leaning into and continue to try to make that better at every aspect of the business with Bar Fogo. We now have a next-level lounge. 
We have, you know, butchery, which, by the way, every one of our restaurants have butcheries. Now we have the retail model that we're doing up front. In Coral Gables, we launched our first butchery, our first Next Level Lounge in America. So all those are are brand extensions of leveraging that model to use that labor that's all in the front to create even more occasions. So it's pretty exciting. current macro environment where inflation rates are at their highest in decades, affecting agricultural commodities and labor supply, it's almost incredible that Fogut has shown has only increased prices by 2%. I wanted to hear more about that pricing philosophy. I think we've oversimplified our business around driving uh, returns versus traffic. Our first and foremost biggest, we've always been competitive. This is still a market share game regardless. It always has been, and it's not going to change. So for us, it's about market share. How do I get top of mind? How do I give unique, differentiated experiences to drive more trial, more frequency? And that's really the key. So why do guests come? And that's where, you know, having your concept, where you fit in the marketplace. But price, you know, value is really critical from the most affluent demographic to the aspirational demographic. So I just think price is the easiest thing to fix something. And so I would just say this. Ten years ago, we just drew a line in the sand here because we had lumpy traffic. We had price variability. We had no plan. So, and I would say this, I'm give credit to Ken Taylor and the guys at Texas Roadhouse. He defended that for years, and I think they're on their 12th year of positive traffic. And I, I agree with that. I think he was the star of this. He presented that years ago from a, a national brand growing year over year, but growing it based off organic growth. And that's where I would say probably 15 years ago, I paid attention to that. And you know, when I started 10 years ago, I saw the opportunity to do the same thing. Let's don't start with price. Let's innovate to drive traffic and less, if we're positive traffic, we'll look at price. And we've been able to hold that pretty steady. And we have 10 years of positive traffic since then. So again, I can defend taking work share. I can also defend being negative and having cost of sales that are maintaining even in a negative environment. And that goes back to our operating model. But I would say this, we're long-term players. And I think any good restaurant has to think long-term. And I think we've just, you know, have that discipline. I'll say this, the last thing, because we don't have a menu and because we have so many varieties, people don't come for one thing. We, we spend most of our time on input cost, high quality input cost to make sure that the costs are right, even in a difficult environment, and we mix shift accordingly. And so that just gives us more flexibility in the moment. I'll give an example. Market table, I don't have a menu. Asparagus goes up because quality is bad and supply is low. I just pull asparagus and add broccolini. So I don't have to stay in the moment and absorb the cost. I can move really quickly to ensure the guest keeps the value. And by the way, if I get something new that's seasonal, that's higher quality, the guest will try that. Yeah, it's a huge advantage. And, you know, I think that whole discussion on price really just alludes to the fact that you're playing kind of long ball. And speaking of that, with only 60 restaurants, you have just a tremendous amount of white space. Maybe talk about the potential of this brand over the next 10 years. What could this really be? I believe the U.S. easy 300 U.S. I feel very clear and very confident of that. I think it could be bigger. Just like any brand growing as you penetrate, you know, you start to learn more. The U.S. is vast. And remember, Tom, we're an international company growing in America, which by itself is unique. Very few international brands have successfully penetrated U.S. We're coast to coast, 
proven portability. Now, with Bain Capital, we're focusing on brand building, penetrating existing markets. 90% of our development will be in existing markets versus new. So that now is driving our awareness is growing, our convenience to drive trial and frequency is growing. So that's our tailwind. This is the strength of, I would say, where maybe Texas Roadhouse was, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago. We're just at that inflection point. But globally, we think easily 600. I think long-term, 30, 40 years from now, I think we can be eight, 900 restaurants globally. So we feel real good about the algorithm. We're also, I've been part of a portfolio. Tony, my CFO partner, same thing. We're both of us grew up at Brinker Portfolio. We want to be in the alpha in somebody else's portfolio, whether it's private equity. We want to be public. But, you know, we want to be really good at what we do and build this brand globally because we've got 30 years of growth ahead of us. So really efficiency, building consumer loyalty, staying innovative and continuing to use capital wisely. That's our real focus with this brand. So but I'd say this to your specific question. Within 10 years, here's some benchmarks. This year, by the way, we raised our we crossed the million dollar mark for No Kid Hungry. It's a huge milestone for this brand. Small company, raised a million dollars, uh, over 10 million meals to No Kid Hungry. At the end of this year, we're going to have 10,000 team members in our family, Fogo family, uh, globally. Small company, human capital intensive, which we love. And then about three or four years from now, we're going to hit our 100th restaurant in, in the world. And then we're, we're going to break our first billion in revenue. So we've got huge runway, but the next 10 years will open in the U.S. We'll probably have 160 to 175 restaurants in the, in the United States, and I think we'll be close to a $2 billion revenue brand, and I think we'll be a you know, 4 to $6 billion market cap company. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of work, Barry. No, actually, <laughs> this is the fun part. Now it's one restaurant at a time, one shift at a time, but what we have confidence in is we have a talent pool. Again, we're always overstaffed. We invest in labor. We don't cut labor. We invest in talent. The first dollar revenue every day goes towards our investment in labor. Second is in the guest experience. Third is what can we do for a community? What's left is we ask permission to build a restaurant and drive better returns. So that's as simple as it gets. I think companies like like Fogo that transact and end up with uh, a great private equity partner like Bain also sometimes consider the IPO market at the same time. Why was it the right decision for you all at this time to kind of go with Bain? Well, it was a huge opportunity. So look, we've been driving, obviously working with your team (laughs) actually for 10 years. So we went public and then we went private uh, for the right reason. We found the right private equity group in our own capital. We asked them to invest forward. Again, we're not Taking prices easy this is what we need to invest in. They did. And really, for five years, five and a half years, the market just wasn't there. We had updated the S1 seven times. We were prepared, but we just really had a great dialogue and uh, relationship with Ron and said, look, look, we want to move. We don't want to go public to go public. Our strategy is to build a brand. Let us go through a process. And quite frankly, we pursued Bain. They're one of the best consumer private equity groups in the world. So we're thrilled to be partners with them. They also know we're IPO ready and we'd like to go. We'd like to be an IPO company. We feel like we can drive earnings long-term. We're really focused and we feel like we're suited for the public markets. Because look, post Rones monetization, if we're public, we'd still be growing at 15% plus a year, buying back shares, issuing dividends, doing all three. We just want to be the alpha in a portfolio and we want real focus because we know we got 30 years of growth ahead of us. We don't have to buy or build anything. We already have attributes to extend the brand. 
so we can continue to innovate and grow earnings very long term for our shareholders. Yeah, we talked a little bit about overseas, Barry. What what differences do you find in full service dining over there? You know, I would say this. What's exciting is I think international. For instance, London. I go back to it's gone through a huge renaissance. One of the best places to do innovation tourism is in the UK. Now, 25 years ago when I lived in the UK, it was the opposite. So I, I would say everywhere around the world, there is incredible new cuisine. They're, they're bringing cultural foods to life, whether in, in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, it, some incredible food to London, you name it. There's new restaurants, new innovation. So I see you know, our brand being a culinary art form that is very approachable and transcends cultural. There's roasted proteins. We've got vegan foods. It's really simple, and it translates really well. We're a global brand, but we act very local. We source everything locally or regionally, and we basically customize. So the culinary art form stays the same, but the locality of it just makes it you know, easy to use locally. We now have 10 partners signed internationally. We had two uh, as of you know, five years ago. Now we have 10. And we see that growing at between you know, three, to, three to six partners a year. And I would say in five to six years from now, we'll be probably opening more international capital light locations than we will be domestically. So still growing organically. We don't want to just open a bunch of restaurants. We want to find the right operating partner who has the same passion we do, who's aligned to really build a great restaurant. You can't be doing all this by yourself, Barry. Talk about the team around you, the corporate culture. What makes you different in your mind? Well, that's the most important question, Tom. It started with building a team. You know, Larry Johnson was a great CEO. He had really big vision. I tell everybody, Larry did the most uncommon thing. A restaurateur probably wouldn't have done it, but he basically planted flags coast to coast. He didn't spill. He didn't try to build brand. He wanted to just put it out there to prove portability. And now we're leveraging that portability. So with Larry, you know, I came along and then really just built, brought on Tony next to build a finance team. And then we just basically reorganized the team and incrementally added talent. But we've got a full suite of very seasoned talent from marketing, Janet Gieselman, seasoned professional, driving 10 years of positive growth. And she leads our innovation. Tony Lede leads finance. I can't even tell you, just, we just got one of the best teams on analysis. So we look at data. We run it like, a, I would say, a big public company already but we keep it very relative to the team from the tip of the spear all the way through development. Joe Bruzzi leads our development and design, and we've done quite a bit of transformation with that. But taking it all the way down to Rick Landerman and our operations team, and then I'd say this, we still have Selma, who's our first GM in the U.S. We have operator Jean Buschetti and Nettie Caccini who have been with us over 30 years. So I go back to the secret to our sauce and our culture is a high passion around this culinary art form. We love people, love hospitality, but our regional level have been with us over 30 years. Our area director levels average over 22 years. GMs have been with us over 10 years. So we recruit 99.9% of our people from within, and we just grow organically with strong culture, and it's really it's a pretty special thing. And we just all we do is invest in scaling that every year. How do you balance innovation in the food that you serve with staying true to the roots of the brand. If I like salmon or I like something that, you know, may not be a traditional South American uh, food. Sure. Well, this is what's great. We innovate around churrasco. And then we have this beautiful, we call it this 
side offering that is by itself indulgent called the market table. So market table is just local whole foods and vegetables that are nutrient dense and good for you. They're seasonal. So regardless where you're around the world, they're just there to complement the meal. Instead of having a side dish, you get whatever you want. That goes from charcuterie to uh, star fruit to papaya to exotic, you know, black bean pasta that's, you know, incredibly nutrient-dense pasta that's gluten-free. So our market table is gluten-free. So that's choice, variety, and nutrient value, density. And then the proteins are protein. Now, we have select Brazil cuts, but I go back to when you think about South America, it's pretty diverse, but like we're from Brazil. Sao Paulo is very, very strong Asian culture, but again, Southern Brazil is very Italian and German. So it's not a one size fit all. And I would say this from a protein basis, for instance, seasonally, we'll introduce a strip steak in the fall when strip steak is at $7 a pound and ribeye is at 14 or 15. We'll introduce the strip steak in off season and just organically mix it to give our guests more choice. We've done the same thing with lamb. Where lamb chop goes up one season, we introduce a new cut of lamb. So all that just adds value to the guest, but mitigates cost. And I would say this makes the guest even happier. Yeah, it's like a win-win for for the company and also for the guests. What's your favorite thing to eat uh, and drink when you go in there to sit down with your family? What do you like the best? Well, my favorite and I go to and I eat it all the time is Fraginia, which is the bottom sirloin. It's really close to the liver, so it has a lot of flavor. But again, Tom, we don't grill meat. We slow roast it. So we put it formulates a salty bark. Again, you can't do that at home. It takes hours to do it. So that salty bark with the flavor is all natural. The way our butchers handle all the protein inside, the way we rest it, trim it, and the way we slow cook it, season it, and even carving it the right way all comes to the experience. And that's the differentiation. And I would say that's the craveability. So on a on a protein side, the salty bark is a unique, craveable attribute difference. It's very simply prepared, very full flavor. And this is what people crave. But this is what's even great. We're just now getting to whole seafood. We're testing whole branzino. Now, I tell everybody, our culinary attributes are salty bark on the protein. Now, seafood... We're going we're gonna to own the term blistering. We're going to blister fish. So blistering a whole fish with olive oil and salt served tableside is just decadent. So that fresh seafood program is a new platform that we're leveraging. So we're not running from Brazil. We're leveraging the art form and keep innovating around all the attributes that people want. relentless pursuit of innovation, Fogo de Chão is still holding on to one of the basic foundations, prioritizing the customer. Not only does this approach align with the brand's mission to provide meaningful and authentic experiences, but it also positions them to thrive long-term. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Barry McGowan for joining us on the show today. There's tremendous white space, both domestically and internationally, for Fogo's expansion. They're really trying to build something sustainable that can grow over time, and that's exactly what you want as a stakeholder. 
This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.